Okay, so uh, back at it. It is time for the Pistols Firing Podcast with your hosts, yours truly, Carson Cunningham. I mean, he's about as pretty as they get. Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. When he breaks through and gets in the open, it's over. Gone. The Pistols Firing Podcast starts right now. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. It is February 25th. It's been a while. Joining me is Kyle Porter. I'm Carson Cunningham. Kyle, it's good to be back with you, man. It is good. We've, uh, yeah, we've, we've both been out for a little bit. Um, I've been sick, traveling, all kinds of stuff. But uh, you know you know what I was thinking about, Carson? So this is our, this is our 299th episode, which is crazy. Um, wow. But we also, we haven't. We haven't talked about the throwback uniforms. I know. Did you realize I that? I did. Yes. I. I we, uh, we missed. We missed the reunion and the unis. Yeah. I. That's not on. It's not on the rundown. Uh, should we? Should we get into it, or should we? Should we save that? You want to save that for one interesting thing? No. Let's get into it. <laughs> they wore them. They wore them last night against uh, against Kansas. So that's what that's what I wanted to start anyway. Number one on our our first five is obviously we knew oh she had their hands full going up to Lawrence, but uh, they did evoke shades of Randy Rutherford and wear those gorgeous throwbacks you're referring to. That they busted out for the 1995 reunion. But um, Kyle, I mean you and I, we're well documented Curse of Cowboys guys. I know, but I know, woo, those are tough to beat. It is tough. We just had a we literally like right when we started taping this, put something up on the site. We had a we had a back and forth debate among the writers uh, on our site. So it was me, Kyle Boone, Marshall Scott, Kyle Cox jumped in a little bit. And I was uh, I got I got outnumbered, Carson. I was I was riding into the into the ground for the Curse of Cowboys. And everybody (laughs) everybody else said, no, no, 95 is uh, 95 superior. And look, like I, I think, and Kyle Boone brought this up. He's like, you just have too much nostalgia for the for the Curse of Cowboys. And I was like, yeah, that's probably true. But the way they did the '95s, I mean, man, it is, it's legit. It's they're really, really good. The trim, like the orange trim and the orange outlining of the numbers, just pops so well off those black jerseys. And and. <laughs> It's tough for me because I have a special, like you, a special kinship with the Curse of Cowboys. That Gottlieb and Mason team was probably both of our, our favorite teams ever. But, I mean, the 95 teams right there with them, I mean, yeah, those yeah. those uniforms are what I think of. I remember when they would wear those at home and on the or they those were the road jerseys, but I remember their home ones that looked just like it. And um, I don't know. I, I do feel like the Curse of Cowboys ones are more modern with in terms of the trim on the shorts and the sides. They're a little more modern than just the old school. Like the ones, the '95 ones look like true throwback uniforms. They're simple. They're classic. Yeah. But I mean, Kyle, why can't we have both? Why don't they just wear cursive cowboys at home and then those on the road and just well, call that, it a day? And that's what I said in the in the piece. It's up on on pistolsfiringblog.com right now. I basically said like, if you ever wear gray again, you just don't. You're just not getting it because you've got you've got <laughs> the cursive cowboys. You've got the '95s. The orange in Bedlam, whatever, that's fine, I guess. But uh, yeah, like you, you've got a, a plethora to choose from now, and uh, it, it's yeah, it, both of them are pretty great. 
Yeah, and they, they didn't wear orange until Travis Ford came along, at least in terms of the modern era since Eddie. Um, so that that was always a weird changeup that they started under him, and it's continued. But I just I don't I don't like it. I, I'd rather them wear teal than orange. How about that? There's a take. Wow. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of the orange at home either. But but it, Kyle, it's weird. I I need someone to write like a definitive piece on how the Curse of Cowboys came along. It, it kind of came and went so fast. It came right after the '95 season, I believe, in '96 is when they introduced him. You know, it was Keontae Roberts and. Nobody else. He was the only, he was like the Lone Ranger after that Final Four run, and they went through the the Gottlieb and Mason eras with it, and then I believe right before they started making that Final Four run in 0304 is when they yeah. introduced the the alarm clock font that said Oklahoma State. It's like the less mile, basically like when Les Miles got there, they kind of copied the alarm clock font on the basketball jerseys, which was it's, well, it's funny. Why, why would you ever get rid of Curse of Cowboys for that crap? Yeah, I I don't like, know. I guess it's because Kyle. I guess. It's probably a Nike thing. They like the synergy between the football and basketball programs because we're seeing that right now with the current uniforms. They have those same kind of numerals that the football team has. The same exact font that's on the football pants is on the jerseys where it says Cowboys. So maybe they just like that synergy. But don't don't screw it up. Go back to Curse of Cowboys. Which, by the way, if you're going to go all orange, go Desmond Mason era all orange. Go 2000s all orange. Do you remember those? Yeah. It's, they're, they're just like the Curse of Cowboys jerseys. Just They say Oklahoma and State. Below the numbers. Yeah, they're above and fan, below. fantastic. Um, okay. Well, we've, we've already... Enough uni talk? Well, let's let's do this. Let's. This has been this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. On Campus Corner, be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Appreciate them uh, for for being a sponsor of this pod. They're going to have... Uh, uh, you know, I've said this before. They, they distribute all of our gear... Got some new hats that are coming in on Thursday, uh, some kind of trucker-style hats that are pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, you can order pfbstore.com. Check those out uh, starting on Thursday and uh, just in time for baseball season. So, nice. Um, yeah. Should we get to? Should we actually get to number one on the on the rundown, on the on the first five? Yeah. OSU got, got creamed at Kansas. Your thoughts? I, I, I don't have any. I just – I don't – I don't – it's the – you're the number one team in the country – uh, if you're Kansas, you're supposed to win. You're supposed to beat a four and ten Big Twelve team, and uh, it's it's on to the next one. You're trying to get in the NIT. It's look. It's not where Oklahoma State wants to be, but that's the reality. And um, yeah, I, I mean, do you have anything beyond that? Like, is there is there a take <laughs> there? Uh, not really. I mean, when they didn't keep it quite as close. Like they, they kept it somewhat close in the first half, but you, we've seen teams tied or in the lead at halftime in, in Fog Allen and still lose by 20. And so yeah. when they got to halftime, I was like, well, they're losing this game by like 25 or 30. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, that was a foregone conclusion. But let's, let's go to number two, Kyle, where I think the real story with the basketball program is they, they win Bedlam. They'd won four of six after that win. And they really, Kyle, it, they really have kind of ride the ship a little bit in terms of just there's an actual direction this thing's going because it was directionless when they were 0 and 8. It looked like, well, Cade Cunningham, save us, you're our, you're our only hope. But now they, some young guys have come on as well, so it's it's going in a much better direction after that win in Bedlam. For sure. And you get you get the Moncrief kid from Canada. You're up to number 9 in in terms of recruiting class for next year. And and you know, where whereas, you know, 6 weeks ago 
you're like, oh, how's this going to go? Now, all of a sudden, you've got a top 10 class. You probably won't, you probably won't end there, but you, right now, you got a top 10 class. You've got uh, the Boone Twins who have come on. Caleb's been great. Uh, Yor is at least impersonating himself from earlier in the year. And so I think there's, I think what it creates is just a, a sliver of hope for the future. Whereas six weeks ago, you're kind of like, wait a second, is this like, is this Ben Simmons at LSU all over again when Cade gets here? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that it's it's important to win these games, not because it gets you anywhere this year, but because it provides hope for the future. Sure. And I think more than anything, Kyle, like you mentioned the Boone twins, like those are guys you're going to need to step up with Cade Cunningham. It's not going to be just the Cade Cunningham show. You need you need guys to play alongside him. And I think they – They've really shown why, you know, I was hollering early in the season, like, why aren't you playing them? They're, yeah. Every time, every time they would get in games, even during that seven-game, seven and zero streak that they started on, like, every time those two dudes got in the game, they made stuff happen. But, but more than anything, Kyle, and, I, and again, it, I think this happened way too late in the season. But credit Mike Boyne for finally adjusting. They quit shooting threes. They only took yeah. like eighteen or nineteen against Oklahoma. Yeah. And they just destroyed them in the paint. I mean, they just. They backed down Brady Manick with the Boone Twins and, and Yorane and Cam McGriff, and they, they got whatever they wanted. Now, it's much tougher to do, as we saw against Kansas, against Azabuki in there, but they at least have learned that this is our identity. You have to play inside out, and I think that's obviously why they're having more success because, let's face it, I think perhaps earlier in the season, he, he trusted Cam McGriff, Lindy Waters, and Thomas Dezagua to to hit a bunch of threes. I think Boynton has said that all seasons. Like I expected us to be a good shooting team. I don't really know why that hasn't happened, but I thought it happened. The adjustment happened too late in the season, but, it, but at least it happened and they're playing much better. The Boons are good. Like they, they can play. Yeah. They're, they're studs. I mean, you're seeing why Mike Boynton wins at Morgantown last year, flies home and it goes straight to Tulsa and, yeah. and sits and watches one of their game. Like, he ha- he wanted to have he needed to have them. <laughs> you you need more boons, more boons in Stillwater. Yeah, and I think if if you're looking for reasons for optimism, he's recruiting other boons. The the Rondell Walker kid, the kid they just got from Canada, like those are high level recruits. So you would think more often than not they're going to be of the same talent level as the Boone twins. So that that to me is is something to really is encouraging moving forward. Obviously, Kate Cunningham as well. Yeah, yeah, which gets us into number three, and 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 I'm glad you touched on this because, you know, uh, Mike Boyden had some some really interesting quotes after Bedlam, just talking about like he basically said like, look, I haven't done a good enough job, and the fans have supported me beyond what I probably deserve, and I want you to know that it's going to get better in the future, and you know, look, like I hope that's true. I like Mike Boynton. I think he's really smart. I think he's really uh, intelligent about the way he goes about things and builds a program. I think he's a better coach than people give him credit for. I don't, I don't know if he's a good developer of talent. I think that remains to be seen, but uh, you can only say that for so long, right? We're in year three. We're about to be year four. You haven't really sniffed the tournament kind of in year one. Um, she got to get better at some point. And look, like I loved what he said after Bedlam. You know, Bedlam's a big deal. This is important. I just the whole thing was cool. Like they had Carson. They had two straight Saturdays in Gallagher that were pretty cool. The ninety-five thing, 
bedlam with Bla- with the uh, Boynton and the Orange Blazer saying all the right stuff. It, it, it was it was like okay, you know, this is this is a real thing. You got you got to keep doing that. You got to keep that up at a high level and uh, and and start having some twenty twenty two twenty four win seasons uh, to kind of push it into the future. He's he hits every time he gets in front of a microphone. He hits every note perfectly. I know. Regardless of the situation, coming off a big blowout loss, coming off a nice win, he he talked about what the program means, standing on the shoulders of of Coach Iba, of Coach Sutton. He he hits every note, Kyle, and and everyone wants him to succeed. But you're right. At a certain point, you got to start winning basketball games. And I I do think over ten thousand people there for Bedlam on a Saturday just shows you how how thirsty and desperate. OSU basketball fans are to support a good team. I mean, this team was three and three and nine going into that game in Big Twelve play. Like this team is has no hope, and yet there were over ten thousand people there. Almost all of the OSU fans. I heard there were no OU fans in the in, in the building. It was all friends and family only from from uh, from Norman. So that just shows you that people want this guy to succeed. They they want to believe in a basketball program. It's been so long since there was something to believe in basketball wise, and just. Every time there's been a slight chance of momentum, with be it Underwood, or those last few games under Boynton after they had beaten Kansas and West Virginia, like just seems like the rug keeps getting pulled out from under them. So maybe next year is the year where they they put it all together because I because I, th- I thought it was really cool, Kyle, to see ten thousand people there to see a team that really is near the bottom of the Big Twelve. Yeah, totally. Did you see what um, did you see what Boynton said about Long Kruger too? I thought this was interesting. I didn't. What did he say? He said, uh, I'm one-tenth of the coach that Long Kruger is. And wow. he just – and they're kind of, it's a little throwaway. It's not like he was he, – he just says these things, and, and he's he just he – he has a really uh, good demeanor and displays a lot of humility in, in, in a profession and an industry where you don't see it a ton. I just – I don't know, man. I just like him a lot. Like, I, I – he's come on this podcast, whatever. That was like two years ago. I'm kind of, kind of over that. I just think he is, I think he's legit. And I hope that I, I hope he has the wins to prove it over the next couple of years. Did you hear what he said about fog Allen? Speaking of humility, I, didn't, I did not. Uh, he was asked about Kansas after the bedlam win. And he said, uh, you know, fog Allen's a tough place to play. It's one of the most special places you can play. Uh, he goes, but this is the best place. He starts pointing down at the ground. But this this is the best place. Mm-hmm. So Fog Allen's, you know, it's in the top five. And he kind of smiled. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, even when he's not being showing humility, it, it's just like, God, you just want to get behind this guy. Like he, he's not gonna he's not gonna just sit there and go, Oh, Kansas is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's like, well, we, we have a good product too. So that that's that's just another classic example of him just Hitting every note, he's super likable. He's recruiting well, but you got to start winning some games, for and sure. he is. So credit to him for for writing the ship. Yep. Uh, okay, number four, Eddie Sutton, Hall of Fame finalist. Finalist again. I can't. Remember. How many times is this? Like seven. I mean, this is eight. Th- this is uh, the USA. This is Team USA in the Ryder Cup. Like, get back to me when it happens, right? Yeah. I just you, you would think why would they keep putting them up if they're not well, going to put I, them in? Yeah, I don't know. I, the whole thing is just a charade. It's 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 nonsense. And but here we are again, and we're like, oh, well, it's got to be this year. Well, it probably won't be. It, it's just I don't know. The whole thing is weird. 
Well, I wish I had read Barry Trammell's column on it. I'm trying to find it, but he he made the point that I think it's two separate entities that that make the finalists and then who vote on it. Yeah. Um. So which is, it's, it's, which it's, is it's a complicated process. You don't even know who the voters are. But <laughs> I know again, it's crazy. Again, my point I'm going to make about it is it's the seventh time he's a Hall of Fame finalist. But my point has always been. If you're gonna put in Jerry Tarkanian, who who got three, oh no, autoplay video. You want, bet you know what side I'm on. Yeah. Uh, if you're gonna put in Jerry Tarkanian, who got three schools in trouble. If you're gonna put Jim Calhoun, who got in trouble with the NCAA, Jim Beheim, who got in trouble with the NCAA. I can, the list can go on and on. John Calipari, who got all sorts of wins taken away at Memphis. If you're gonna put all those guys in the Hall of Fame, like Eddie's a shoe in. Like, where is this black ball coming from? To me, it, it has to stem from Kentucky. I'm sure there's some people on that committee that have strong ties to Kentucky and they're influencing the other voters because his resume speaks for itself. Like, it's it's plain and simple. Like, I loved Chris Beard. I don't, we haven't talked about this either. Chris Beard finally was a coach who came after the Hall of Fame hard. I've, I've wanted to hear so many coaches say, I've wanted Bill Self to say that for years. Exactly what Chris Beard said. He said, it's a disgrace. Like, it's it's a joke. And it's it's wrong. And that's how I've always felt about it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm, I'm dubious that – because, I mean, his resume hasn't changed. How those committee members feel about him hasn't changed. Maybe they'll have some sympathy that he's – you know, his health just seems to be in total decline. But I'm, I'm like you. I'm dubious. Yeah. Uh, Chris Beard came out of the Hall of Fame, unlike Bill Self, because he's not in it yet. Unlike – isn't Bill Self in it? Yeah, he was nominated – or he was inducted two years ago. Which is hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. It's It's – asinine that he's in and eddie sutton's not no it's it's just that makes no, no sense at all now yeah. i guess what tram writes is that the uh the committee finalists were cut in half so there's gonna be much less finalists this year so perhaps you know perhaps that could help sutton but again i just it didn't it doesn't appear that like if they weren't going to put him in last year when sean was at the final four when um Oh, I can't remember the other. There was some other reason. There was some other thing that lined up perfectly with him with him being inducted last year. But like yeah. Sean said, the final four. Yeah. Uh, something else happened too. I can't. I can't remember what, but just doesn't appear like it's going to happen. Yeah, I. I uh, I'm hopeful. I mean, I want it to happen, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, okay, number five, your boy. Do you want to do you want to do you want to re uh, kind of reenact the Norwegian call from the Puerto Rico <laughs> Open on on Sunday? I don't think I can reach that pitch. That, I don't that even know. Like I don't know what the words were. I don't know what the it, it was. It sounded like you know an animal being like slaughtered or something. It was crazy. But uh, Victor Hovland. Wins the Puerto Rico Open over Josh Teeter by one stroke. Beat everybody else in the field by five. His first PGA Tour win came in an opposite field event. Uh, the WGC Mexico Championship was going on at the same time. And it gets Hovland up to 60 in the world. He's getting close to being in the Masters. That win doesn't get him in because it was an opposite field event. But uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see him get his first victory. He has such a good – this is the thing that struck me, Carson. He has such a good – demeanor for professional golf because he he care I think he cares the right amount you go out there and you start caring too much you are going to grind yourself into the ground and if you if you don't care enough 
you're going to play your way onto a mini tour, you know? And, and I think he cares the right amount and he's got, he's got obviously got all the tools, got all the skills, but uh, he, he has a really good kind of aura about him as well. And I think that's why he's going to be successful out there for a long time. How many professional golfers would say after they won a tournament, I suck at chipping. Yeah. I mean, he, that's what he said. He, he's totally happy go lucky. He, he's a, he has the most infectious smile you'll ever see of an athlete. I know that just sounds weird to say, but every time you see the guy, he's smiling. He just seems to be in a good mood all the time. And you know what I actually thought of, Kyle, when I heard the Norwegian call is Victor's got really good English if that's his native tongue. Like, he speaks perfect English. And he even did like a video for PGA Tour where he spoke some Norwegian, which just sounds just, just a crazy language. But it's wild, Kyle. I mean, before this weekend when he won, I was sitting there thinking like, man, we were we were kind of hyping up Hovland and Wolf to like be the next big things. And, and Wolf's not playing well right now. He already he won a tournament last year. So now that Hovland and Wolf have both won, they've they've each won a tournament already in their PGA Tour careers. And they're not even... They haven't been on tour for a full year yet. That's that's pretty insane. So maybe they are living up to the hype that we we were pumping. Oh, totally. I mean, look, you get out there. If you win in the first three years, I mean, in in the problem, I was talking about this with uh, with Mark Immelman the other day on on my golf podcast on on CBS, the First Cup podcast. We were talking about how like we get you get out there and, and everybody starts getting compared to JT and to Rory and to Spieth in whatever and it's like that is those that is not reality like those guys are the outliers of the outliers and if you're Hovland if you're Wolf you win you win and if you even get your card in the first couple years that's an achievement and so to go win and I get it it was an opposite field event the 3M open last year was basically an opposite field event it it was it wasn't a very good field but it's still winning and you still locked up a, a PGA Tour card for the next two years it's a big deal and I think that it doesn't seem like a big deal because JT goes and does it twelve times in three in four years or whatever, but it really is a, a big deal and uh, you know gets him a little bit closer to to the Masters. And they both hit thirty footers to win their first tournaments. Some good symmetry there. Uh, speaking of the chipping thing, I went and looked it up. This should be my. We're gonna do buckets and bricks in a second. This should be my brick. <laughs> so there's 235 guys that have qualified for strokes gained around the green. So this is like how good you are at chipping, essentially. Um, Hovland's ranked 232. Oof. Uh, Wolf is ranked like 225. Hmm. And Christopher Ventura is ranked like 234. I'm like, what? What's going on? In uh, is there like, did they close the the short game area in Stillwater for the three years that they were all there? <laughs> Maybe they've just been hitting greens for so long they don't have to chip. <laughs> Too many it's greens not, in regulation. It's not good. I, I thought it was, I thought Hovland talking about his chipping was interesting because he he's right. Like you gotta get better at that. You're not gonna go win a major or a big time event uh being two hundred and thirty second in in chipping, you know, in, in stuff around the green. So he definitely has stuff that he, he needs to get better at, but uh, he's look, Carson, he is like if you give me, you can count on one hand the the best the best drivers in the world, and he's in that group. It's DJ, it's Rory, it's him, it's probably Cam Champ, maybe Rom, somebody like that. He he's on the list, and I think people people haven't fully realized that yet. But he's one of the five best drivers of the golf ball in the world, and that includes Wolf too, because Wolf gets all the pub for the for the driver. But for uh, sure, I tell you what. If, 
I was always I always lean towards Wolf, but if I had to if I had to bet on who would win a major first, I, I'd go Hovland. He's I think I, I think would. He, I think he's better. I, I which is it sounds crazy. I, I started I started moving this direction at the end of last year. Uh, of and I think I I think I wrote it or something and I was like what am I what am I talking about like is this true but I think it I think it might be I think Hovland might be a better pro Wolf's gonna be great he is great yeah but Hovland well and we always is... and we always talked about Wolf's star power but I think I think Victor has some too and I I even went as far as to say I think I think Victor has a chance to make the Ryder Cup team which I think you I don't think you agree with no I don't disagree it's just gonna be so hard. Because you're you're almost gonna have to get it. You're gonna have to earn it on points. I don't think he'll be a captain's pick just because they've got, you know, they've got guys that are older like Stinson, um, Rose, Sergio. That it's like this might be their last, not Rose necessarily, but Stinson and Sergio might be the last time that you use a captain's pick on guys like that. And they're just you're not gonna pick Hovland over those guys. So it depends on like how it breaks in terms of uh, whether you get on on points or you have to to be a captain's pick. I just it's hard to imagine him being a captain's pick with some of those guys who may or may not get in on on uh, automatically. Maybe until they look at his match play record. They're like oh, sign him up. The guy just ima- killed. He, he won like <laughs> he won imagine? like four get, straight rounds and didn't lose a hole at the USAM. I know he gets in over like Sergio. They're like, ah, we're good. <laughs> well, I mean, in any Ryder cup, you want to bring a young stud and get them ready. You, you do. You want to, yeah, you want to get their teeth cut early in their careers. That's why it was, it was such a shame. It took Cantley so long to play in one. So like, I don't know. I, I think that's going to appeal to whoever the coach is. Maybe do we know that who's the coach for or the, the coach? The, who's the captain for the Ryder cup this year for Europe? Is it a Scandinavian? Uh, the That'll captain, help his chances. No, it's uh, Padraig Harrington. Mm. Yeah, he'll pick, he'll pick the old guys. He'll yeah, pick Sergio. for sure. He's that's his his contemporaries. Yeah, he's not he's not picking Hovland. Damn it. <laughs> uh, okay, buckets and bricks time. Yep. Okay, you're up first. I'll go bucket uh, again. The Boone twins, I, I Caleb and, and Keelan. I think Caleb especially have, have really come on down the stretch. I. I was screaming for them to play him more. They're both those guys more. They're just they're two of the best players on the roster. I know they're freshmen. I know they got to learn, but you also got to play them. And again, Boynton kind of mentioned this in his press conference after the win in Bedlam. Is like, look, we know Cade's coming, but like everyone that's coming in next year is a freshman, and it's going to take them time to learn. And I've, that's what I've been trying to say too. Like, look, I know Cade Cunningham's awesome, but you have to have pieces around him, or else it's yeah. like it's the Trey Young show all over again. Yeah. And so those Boone twins, I think, will go a long way, and they're going to be really—they're going to be all-conference type players. Maybe on the longs the line, of, along the lines of of Stevie and Joey, where where one's better than the other. But again, I'm not—who knows? Maybe it'll be a, a Morris twin situation where they they change out who's best. But they they were awesome and and building blocks for the future. For sure, I uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I think we can talk about this more later on. I think the Cade stuff—you kind of start looking at the at the roster, and you're like. <sighs> how exactly is this going to work? You know, because you, you've got a lot of guys that need the, need the ball. Um, Avery Anderson. It's like, where does he fit in? Like it, it just, it gets a little weird. And the Boons are, are I think vital to their success next year. They just are because they're pieces that Cade can't like, he, he can't be them. He can't replicate them. He's not a better version of them. They can do stuff that he can't do. And I think that that, um, 
yeah, that's just that's super important. So I, I love that call by you. My bucket uh, goes to Charles Howe the third. How about this, Carson? Second guy ever to make one million dollars on the PGA Tour for twenty straight years. I think you. <laughs> I, I think you know the other guy. Phil. Phil did it. Twenty four years, right? Twenty four years in a row. That's a Justin Ray special. Justin Ray fifteenth club best golf statistician that there is. And, uh, man, it's, it's look like the Charles house stuff, win more, whatever. Like you made a million dollars for 20 years in a row. And, and, and it's not just the money. It's like being one of the hundred best golfers on the PGA tour for 20 straight years. That's really hard to do. Tiger didn't do it. You know, these, these like Jordan Spieth's probably not going to do it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's super impressive, and I think a testament to how consistently good he's been for a really long time. When's he going to just throw us a mill just to for the pod? Sponsor the pod. PFB yeah. podcast brought to you by Charles Howell III. Friend of the show, you know. He wouldn't miss $1 million. Uh, <laughs> and the best part about that, Kyle, he gets to go to the grocery store and nobody knows who he is. He, he gets to live in complete anonymity as opposed yeah. to like a, a Rory, you know, who just gets mobbed everywhere he goes, I'm sure. Yeah. Best of both worlds, in my opinion. Totally. Uh, Brick, I had to send out an, an APB for, for yelling guy during the second <laughs> half of, of Bedlam. Uh, you know, my dad's been cultivating sources over the years since his all his appearances on the podcast. He's cult- been able to cultivate some sources up in Stillwater. His sources tell him that the, the referees actually had to come over and talk to yelling guy and, and calm him down during the game. They're like, I don't know if they threatened to kick him out or what, but... He got a talking to during the game from the ref. That's a, the ref, the officiating Wait, was your, so bad in the second half. Is your half. dad reporting this? Yes, that's his sources. <laughs> that's that's according to my dad. That take it to the bank. That happened, and I don't blame yelling guy because the officiating was so bad in the second half. It was it was it was awful even by Big Twelve refereeing standards. Like the the foul discrepancy was so out of hand. At at one point they just called two quick ones because they realized, oh my God, it's like 15 to three, the foul discrepancy. See, we've seen that before, haven't we? Where they call two quick touch fouls away from the ball just to try to just try to even it out a little bit. And then after all of the shenanigans of that, they, OU ties up the ball and OSU has the possession arrow. The referees go over to the clock and tell them it's wrong and that there was a jump ball at the five and a half minute mark to which the announcer said didn't happen. They, they looked it up. It did not happen. They just made it up and gave OU the ball. <laughs> the, the refereeing was just atrocious, and OSU still won by 20. So it was just – it was a the whole second half, and I'm not saying – they missed calls uh, again for OU too. They, they, they called – anytime you would flop, they would call it, and, and Lindy Waters got a charge. So it was just battle. It was just a total mess. So bricks for them. Would you rather have uh, Yelling Guy or Mike Gundy on the podcast? Oh, Gundy for sure, but I, I do want to pick the brain of yelling guy. Just I bet I bet he's got some great war stories of just sitting courtside. He was probably there through the thick and thin of the Kelvin Eddie wars. You know, just, I'd love to hear some stories from because he's so close. He could probably he, he can hear what the coaches and players are saying the whole time. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, that's great. Okay, so my break. So we started a new segment on the blog called Hot Take of the Day. And it can be about anything. This was our, this was, we just said, okay, you, it, it can be Oklahoma State, and a lot of times it will be, 
but it can be about anything. So today, Kyle Boone did, he, he said his hot take of the day is that recruiting rankings are too political. I haven't read it yet, but I saw the headline. So it's stuff like that. But I started it off, Carson, uh, by saying that Monopoly, the game, Monopoly stinks. It stinks. That's, that, was my, that was the first hot take of the day on Monday, February 24th. And it does stink. It stinks. It's terrible. It's about eight hours too long. And it's all luck. You just roll the dice, and if you get the right stuff, then you win. And there's no there's no skill involved. And it's like this nostalgic <laughs> thing that people only like because it's nostalgic and because it's old and because it sounds cool. It's not good. Play a different well, game. Kids like it because it's kind of cool looking. You got like the houses you can build and the the, the little pieces. Like I, it's funny you mentioned this because I remember always wanting to play it. When I was a kid, and my dad was like, "No, we're not. We're not playing Monopoly." He's like, yeah, "We're not playing that anymore." Because <laughs> your dad is smart, and it and knows that it's it takes. I know it took. I remember it taking forever, and I think that's why we quit playing. So I don't even think that's a hot take. Well, people people seem to agree. So I I was. Uh, it's a good take. Yeah, I was in good company there. Um, okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit. We'll come back and wrap things up with one interesting thing. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, I'm going to go first on one interesting thing because I want to end with yours. Uh, my one interesting thing, and I thought this was really a really good take by uh, Helping Hand, at Helping Hand in the chamber in our forum. Um, not going to divulge his his actual name. Don't, That's a great don't think, handle. Don't think he wants me to do that, but... Uh, he said, and, and I wrote about this earlier in the week, he said, look at Michigan State. How, how does Michigan State go in, in the post-Mart D'Antonio um, era? And, and I thought that was really interesting because what he was saying is, like, that could be how Oklahoma State goes in the post-Gundy era. Similar schools uh, that, you know, Michigan State was good in the, in the 80s, was okay in the 90s, not, not, you know, not really that good until D'Antonio got there. And then they've won. I, this was so intriguing to me. Him and Gundy both have wanted a 67% clip since they got to their respective schools. So Michigan State won 67% of their games with D'Antonio. Oklahoma State's won 67% of their games with Gundy. You know, they, they've got, they've both got kind of powerhouses above them. Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma State has Texas and OU. Uh, Michigan State's budget is bigger. Their revenue is, is a lot higher. Um, but you know, you kind of normalize that with the conference they're in. Everybody in the Big Ten has has a lot of revenue. So I thought that was really interesting, and I, I'm intrigued to see how Michigan State uh, goes over the next, you know, three, four, five years in, in the post-Antonio era. It's a great comparison, and I'll take it one step further. Both Oklahoma State and Michigan State had a coach leave to go to LSU who won a national title. Wow. Nick That's Saban good. left Michigan State, went to LSU, won a title. Les Miles did the same. They both won one title at LSU. So that the the parallels are there. And I 
again, as much as we, we holler about Gundy's recruiting, it can certainly go the other way. And that's going to be fascinating whenever that day comes. What, what type of job is Oklahoma State? I personally think it's a good job, but we'll we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. And and I thought it was weird because the Michigan State coaching search didn't seem to go that well. It seemed like, and and it was awkward timing and that's part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, But it just, it just, it was weird. It didn't, it didn't play out like you would have. I mean, Michigan State's a good program, right? Like they've won a ton. They got a bunch of money. Uh, they seem to struggle a little bit in, in terms of landing somebody. And yeah, uh, they, they had to overpay to get Mel Tucker. And look, I, I like Mel Tucker. I think he was doing a good job at Colorado and was eventually going to turn it around. But they, they vastly overpaid to get him, which they obviously had to, just to get right. get someone they wanted in there. Yeah, so anyway, that that was my one interesting thing. And I, I thought it was a good call by by helping hand in, That's in the form. Great handle, helping hand, and a, and a, a great observation. And it's going to be fun to watch, or interesting yeah. to watch, I should say. For sure. uh, mine is, and again, I know most people are, are kind of Kobe'd out at this point. It's been just such a whirlwind. Uh, it's been almost, what, it's been a month now, I guess. And I just thought the the whole deal at Staples Center yesterday with with everyone that got up, I don't know how his wife got up there and spoke as eloquent she, uh, eloquently as she did. But to me, Kyle, I thought I was so moved by Michael Jordan up there. And, and again, like we loved the crying Jordan meme. It was so great for so many years. But I think it's officially time to retire because he was up there bawling and, and really, I thought, gave an amazing eulogy. It, it really was amazing. It, and once again, and it, it was once again another case of Jordan rising to the occasion, right? He just, he just nailed it. And it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about Michael Jordan in a while, and I thought about it in terms of this. You don't hear him speak very often. Like, if you're a kid who's age 21, 22, you, have you even heard Michael speak? Like, yeah. I mean, you know who he is? He's kind of this, he's kind of evolved into this mythological basketball god figure, figurehead. It's probably a better word than god, but he's this mythological persona. And to see him humanized like that, and pour his heart out, I thought was amazing to watch. I thought it was really, really moving. And I thought he had really good points and it, I thought it was great. Yeah, no, you're right. And I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe people are Kobe out. I'm, I'm not, I, I thought, I thought the whole, yeah. I mean, I watched some of his wife's, um, eulogy and it, it was, it was really the, the Nike thing on Twitter. Did you see that? I missed that. What's that? It, it, they put out like a two minute video. You need to go watch it. And it's very, it's very simple. It's basically just a bunch of text, but it's very well done and very powerful. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it's a huge deal. I mean, it, it, it will remain a huge deal. And, uh, yeah, the, the Jordan thing, when he said, I, I, I didn't want to be up here crying again. Cause I don't want to see that stupid meme for another five <laughs> years was, yeah. was so, was such a, like, you don't expect that kind of self-awareness from somebody like that. It was really funny and poignant and like everything you want from a eulogy. It was really good. And, uh, yeah, the whole thing was, was great. Yeah. It was awesome. So that was my one interesting thing. I love it. Uh, okay, Carson, good stuff. We will be on a more regular schedule over the next few weeks until the Masters. Mm, can't uh, wait. <laughs> um, so yeah, we uh, we'll be, we'll be closing out the basketball season, getting into some baseball stuff, recruiting as always. And I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. See ya.